Welcome back to Make Music Happen, a podcast brought to you by the Songbirds Guitar and Pop Culture Museum. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Charlie. On this show, we take a deep dive into music and how it affects broader culture. That's right. And as I understand it, we have a new artist on the show today. Well, I I guess like new to me, right? Yes, sir. Today, I'm going to be introducing you and our dear audience to country music artist Nick Shoulders. Right on. I like the sound of that. But before we get started, I have to disclose two things. One, I don't know who that is. (laughs) And two, I am very picky about country music in general. Um, But Charlie, for you, I'm going to go into this with an open mind. Oh, same. But I I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised here. You just heard a snippet of Snakes and Waterfalls, the first track off of Nick Shoulder's 2018 album, Lonely Like Me. John, first impressions? Yeah, I'm in. I mean, sonically, I don't know why I was bracing myself, but this is old time. I'd, I'd like to hear some more of it. absolutely old-timey but don't don't get too comfortable the way nick arrived at this style is anything but and i can't wait to tell you about it oh tease me i love it well let's start by saying nick is playing a concert here at songbirds december 16th 2022 which is great but not remarkable we host a lot of country artists all the time but what is remarkable is the pushback we've gotten on social media you know, we've been posting about your sh- show on social media, and we've gotten some pushback from, like, folks who follow us. It's my stupid haircut, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I have questions. I can answer this first one, I'm sure. It's not because of a stupid haircut. It's actually because Nick has some strong views about what country music is and how it relates to Southern culture. <laughs> okay, I like the sound of that a lot, but I'm not going to let you gloss over this haircut thing. What are, what are we talking here? Rat tail, mullet? Uh, he's got a, I mean, he's got a pretty distinct mullet. Uh, right on. Pretty distinct mullet. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was talking to him, I I couldn't tell if it was like a a toboggan that he was wearing on the top of his head with his hair sticking out, or if it was actually like his real hair. I decided that it was his real hair. Well, I was already excited to see his show this week, but now I'm excited to see this mullet. It will not disappoint, I can assure you. But it's not Nick's silly haircut that's pushing people's buttons. Yeah, there's got to be more here because I got to say, like, this sounds pretty safe. Sonically, maybe. I am so weary. I'm as glum as I can be. All y'all have lost it. I meet your madness with pity. I don't blame you for being scared. But it's the wrong direction that your teeth are bared. We're fully busted. We know the ship is Okay, there it is. I like where this song is going. Me too. 
Just from that snippet of Bound and Determined, you can see Nick has strong feelings about what it means to be Southern. But let me back up a little bit, because as I mentioned, Nick's arrival to country music is very relevant here. And you're gonna love it, John. So your music career began in punk, right? So like, would you say that punk was your first love? Uh, I would say in a lot of ways, yeah. I was definitely like the annoying kid drummer in the basement, just like rumbling, playing like, you know, whatever crappy DB uh, shuffle kind of thing going. But like, it wasn't long into punk like searching that I started kind of hearing overlaps with early country music with bluegrass, especially rhythmically, like, you know, just with the do check, do check, do check kind of rhythm structure. I was like, oh, I'm, this is stuff I'm used to hearing in this other context. And like, it has kind of the same, it makes you want to do the same thing, kind of, kind of move. Yeah, my roots in punk were very helpful, and especially like in just having a crappy local metal DIY scene to like, you know, play loud, obnoxious music and like, uh, do that sort of thing like that. That was really helpful. Aha, Nick has some punky origins. You know, I love my country artists with DIY starts, and I bet you can guess who I'm referencing, right? Orville Peck? Yeah, you know me. Knew it. But as Nick alluded there, punk is just half of his origin story. My true first love, I think, was like some of the wobbly, weird old music that I was catching from like stuff my grandparents were listening to or like. You know, a little bit of what my dad is into, but yeah, I mean, um, growing up, I heard the, like, kind of tendrils that inform early roots country music, the, like, Southern gospel and, uh, you know, vocally centered traditions that, like, create the backbone of some of that early country material via my grandparents and, like, what my grandpa recorded and stuff. Got it, got it. Okay, so we've got punk and rootsy bluegrass as the two opposing sides of the Nick Shoulders coin. Yes, and to prove the point, or flip the coin to use your metaphor, here's one of Nick's previous punk endeavors, the Thunder Lizards. This is Broner. I mean, that band is sort of amongst a whole slew of, you know, some more than others regrettable, just adolescent noise where I think the rage that I was experiencing being in this like overtly theocratic sort of repressive place that rural Arkansas is, which is, it's like a lot of places in rural America, but you know, to have that uh, experience and react against it, uh, the most like viable and accessible channel was the heavy music and was the like aggressive stuff. And it is funny to sort of like parse through like the lyrical content of those bands versus like what we're doing now. First of all, this is great thrashy punk. I think he's being very humble in calling this just adolescent noise. And then also I'm keying in on the phrase theocratic repressive place. So am I correct to say that in one artist, we're hearing seemingly opposite ends of a sound spectrum, like punk versus rural music, but to the same lyrical end? You're not wrong, John, but Nick is going to add some nuance. Ooh, I love nuance. 
a lot of the same stuff. Like we're still angry about a lot of the same things. We just happen to be yodeling them now. And like, I think that also kind of speaks to the world that informs like early punk music and uh, early country music and what we're experiencing now where it's like, you know, this, this kind of uh, existence of being exposed to constant war and bank failures and stuff sounds a lot like what the Carter family were experiencing and writing about or what like informs these kind of like uh, pivotal people who, who, who really inform the beginnings of the genre that we operate in. And that same sort of reaction against like this this thing that feels like overwhelming and crushing, that's what you hear a lot in sort of the, like the despair and rage and punk music. So again, that overlap, you can't, it's not just rhythmic and it's not just, uh, oh cool, you know, fast bluegrass sounds like fast punk music. Like there really is an ethical uh, uh, experience uh, that informs both of those places that has so much overlap that I think people are aware of on like an intuitive level. some of the punk origins may have been in terms of like what I feel like we got recorded. Uh, what I think it really did was highlight where the music mission has always sat, which is kind of an antithesis of these like repressive, overtly theocratic uh, kind of social uh, structures that don't leave any room for people to be truly happy and just like working shit jobs and being in, you know, perpetual debt and all that. And like, that's, that is the same fundamental, like, ethical driver of a lot of country music and especially a lot of working class centered country music. So, I mean, again, the, the, like, the plight and the structure of the music and what it's trying to say, like, there's all sorts of overlaps there. I'm growing tired of the big city's lights Tired of the glimmer Falling for Nick's shoulders? It was only a matter of time, John. Far away from home is the Mississippi and you. Things are dark and dreary everywhere I roam is the Mississippi. But here we are talking about the country iteration of Nick's career, not the punk phase or the adolescent noise phase, as he called it. So I have to ask, what happened? Well, I read in another interview that Nick, quote unquote, got fed up with playing punk stuff. So I asked him pretty much that exactly. So I had this like early indoctrination with the like warbly old kind of pre-microphone sounding vocal stuff. And uh, 
was interested in that threat of my family and I knew that my other grandpa had played like guitar and fiddle and stuff, but I didn't have much much love for it because it was kind of this like novel, shameful thing. And so when I lived in Colorado, I uh, I definitely had played in like some crappy metal and punk bands, but I was recovering from surgery and really homesick and on probation from some dumb stuff. So I picked up the banjo and started digging back into my family's music and the origins of country music uh, during that period, especially. All right, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, but it sounds like some forced reflection time, only not maybe the pandemic variety like we talked about with Amanda Shires. Which that episode you can listen to on Spotify or YouTube or Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So we we didn't delve into what he referred to as probation for some stupid stuff there. But what's important is he had the time to really think and reflect on on what he wanted to express with his music. So that just sort of cemented into this like, okay, well, I'm recovering from surgery. There's blizzards out. I hate living in Colorado. There's more people in Denver than the state I'm from. Uh, And that sort of became part of this thesis project of like building the idea of like what cultural and social forces create um, the conditions to make this music. And uh, part of the inevitable expression of like reacting to the culture I'm in has been the loud, scary, aggressive stuff. But like, again, the country music we make is mostly expressing that same sort of of ethos. Uh, and we talked about kind of your your uh, influence on on uh, from uh, Southern Baptist gospel music. Do, can do you think you could dig a little deeper into that? Like how um, relevant was that in your life when you were when you were younger? And like sure. what what uh, and then what what really got you started thinking about like you know what it all means. You know what I mean? Like what it kind of stands for. Yeah, I think um, I have like some home videos of me as I think probably a four or five year old and I'm fishing in the like little boggy little cypress puddle next to uh, my parents' house. And I'm like doing impersonations of my grandpa singing who, you know, I was doing like Patsy Klein songs because he was doing Patsy Klein songs. And my mom asked something like, are you going to be a singer like your dad or your grandpa? And I was like, no, (laughs) like straight up, no. And uh, but I was obviously like parroting it and hearing it. My grandmother on that side's family was from Louisiana and her mother was a professed professional gospel singer. Uh, My grandfather on that side, like I said, has this whole slew of these bizarre recordings that he made in Little Rock with this lady, Betty Fowler. So I have these like nine albums of like Pat Riley sings country, Pat Riley sings patriotic, Pat Riley's religious musical moments, Pat Riley sings Christmas, Pat Riley sings, Pat Riley still sings, you know, like there's this, it's, it's kind of madness, but I put some of it on YouTube under Pat M. Riley and it's, uh, Yeah, kind of this bizarro, like, if you listen to it, you're like, oh, this is like some weird, you know, Rat Pack Country circa 1973. I walk today where Jesus walked in days of long ago. Here's Nick's grandfather, Pat M. Riley, from Nick's YouTube channel. 
machine weird warbly gospel music i think that that particular thread of early country music also kind of expresses the like physical and demographic place it comes from but like down in the lowland parts that's where my family is mostly centered and that singing and that vibrato that's on it really comes from that crossover with early black gospel music and the place that like early blues and the segregation of the of the music industry really suffers from this like collective amnesia where like the physically diverse place that this music comes from and that singing style comes from really speaks to an experience that is distinctive and and trying and like intense about the south say the things you used to say I'm falling for him. If by falling for him, you mean you're tracking with how he thinks about Southern music, then then me too. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> this is where Nick makes an interesting distinction between country and rural music, which is not really something I thought about before. Oh, and, and birds. What? Birds. Birds. I also spent so much time in the woods as like a bored kid impersonating bird calls like my first time experimenting with diaphragm control and stuff was um impersonating barred owls so like a whole other part of the yodels and whistles and stuff i got from my dad and from my more ozarky side of the family that was in missouri but um the true like power behind what i think i i learned how to sing with is from that like lowland gospel side of my family I see. I see. That's cool. He's he's really drawing inspiration from his entire environment. Yeah, that's right. But let me circle us back here to get what your average country music fan finds irksome about our dear Nick. Right. Yeah. Because again, he's checking all the boxes so far. He's clearly passionate about his heritage and he's got a very clear understanding of how that heritage plays out in his sound. So again, he's not really coming across as too controversial to me. To be honest about country music's origin, about what it means culturally, where it came from originally, who played it originally, and for what reasons, you know, that inevitably leads you back to trying to understand the South and the South's history and the relationship with, you know, the exploitation of the working class and the profiteering on the labor of enslaved people and the theft of Native American land. Now we're getting to it. For Nick, country music can't be separated from what it actually means to call something Southern. This is turning on a light for me. This is why popular country music is so touchy for me. 
there's so much about the connotations or at least popular connotations of what country is that really gross me out, to be honest. I think I know what you mean, but can you elaborate on that? Sure. Like, I don't drive a comically huge truck. I don't like barbecue. I don't wear camo. I'm not religious. I, I mean, I could go on. So you must not be Southern. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, my Southern experience is not represented in popular country music, but I am Southern. On a lonely night like any other in a place I'm known to go. with a hybridized dialect with, um, you know, this history and all this knowledge and these scars of war all around us. And so when we divorce Southerness from country music, when we try to make country music just about cowboys around campfires and about, uh, you know, rural somewhere, you know, that, that it's just some dusty road and some dusty fence and like that's, that's it is your tractor sexy and stuff. We really lose what makes the music actually compelling, which is that it comes from this place and this time in American history, from this war and from this enslavement and from this land theft that is very specific to how American empire became what it is and why we have so much suffering and inequality and resentment in our lives today. Okay, this is the sound of Nick pushing buttons. I hear it now. Right, right. He's saying that your typical country artist or pop country producer or writer is divorcing the music from the actual experience. And I think being honest about country music's origins leads you to be honest about America's origins. You can't run from history down here. It's all around you. You know, there's battlefields and trail of tears markers and like everything that you are walking on is built on this very tumultuous experience. And I played it in G for Jesus. I let my also aware that like there's this 
gorgeous soundtrack and there's all this preserved green space or at least a lot of it compared to some places in this country and uh you realize that like what is born of all that hardship is this really precious wonderful thing which is our like cultural legacy and what that represents from this like pluralistic hybridized um this spot in american life where like we had the unique experience of having neighbors that are are different than just us and that that has influenced the music and the sonic qualities of everything that like country music represents wow i mean i'm in awe he has described the american gothic here the honest south is bleak but it's beautiful it's earnest and it's inclusive he's rejecting what's become the status quo for country but not just to tear it down he's kind of saying we all got tricked into a fake white nostalgia rich um sort of white novelty nostalgia trip that doesn't actually exist anywhere but in this this cowboys around campfires fake western sort of context yeah yeah i am starting to see why this might cause some pushback so yeah and and if it wasn't clear enough in his music he actually wrote an editorial called fake twang how white conservatism stole country music back in March of 2020. This is all I think about is this very specific cultural hijacking of this music tradition and why it mirrors a cultural hijacking elsewhere. You know, like uh, Merle Haggard's Fight Inside of Me and what that song says and Nixon's Southern strategy of flipping the South to vote Republican. You know, they're happening within a such a close span of one another that it really can't be anything but worth looking into in terms of like, what does this working class music from this pan-racial um, origin point that suffered under an agri-oligarchy to express the needs of people who were like, keeping intact this vernacular music tradition like where how do we get from that to hyper patriotic um defense of like the industrial military state yeah i mean that's the question right how did we get from the carter family who nick mentioned earlier to to artists like merle haggard and then later toby keith who had absolutely no qualms writing and singing about what nick calls this hyper patriotic defense of the industrial military state and I agree, it's worth thinking about. It's worth asking questions about. Or how did we get an entire class of pan-racial people to start voting against their own interests? It sounds really touchy, but keep in mind, if this is getting you charged up, Nick is just looking at musical history and asking questions. If you are a student of the music, you know that at some point there was a real shift in how what it represented lyrically and culturally. And that shift comes with the rise of what we mentioned earlier, which is this sort of like pan-rural, white, nostalgic um, sort of dream existence that is centered around um, the soundtrack that is sort of what we would call now pop country. And now it's like on steroids. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, it's a whole other universe now.
gosh, I am loving this and I am loving him. I knew you would. I hate to say it, but we're kind of getting towards the end of the conversation I had with Nick. No! Don't worry. I'm also excited to tell you about Nick's newest EP called Heart of Night. I mean, it just came out this December. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds like a nice little parting gift. But before we do that, I want to take a short break to talk to Reed, the executive director of the Songbirds Foundation. He popped in the studio last week to update me on their good work. Okay, Reed, why don't you fill us in on what's going on with the Songbirds Foundation these days? Well, a lot as per usual. We've uh, we've done a lot the last couple of weeks. We went out to uh, Tyner Middle Academy here in Chattanooga and gave them guitars, and they had very excited students and a great teacher and Kevin Southall out there. Um, it's always great to give those guitars out. Um, it's fun to watch kids freak out as they open those boxes up and hold their their awesome Epiphone Pro ones that we just got from Gibson up. They look uh, they're good looking guitars. If you're a teacher and you want or need guitars and curriculum, how can you do that? Uh, you can go to on our website. We've got a place now where a teacher can apply to become a Guitars for Kids teacher. Um, and then we vet that teacher in the school and then hopefully we just um, able to train them up and get guitars to them. So we've got a lot of guitars going out. We've got about a thousand going out in the next uh, four or five months to schools in Missouri and Mississippi and Alabama, some more in Chattanooga and around in Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. We're, we're uh, taking we're, over the region. We're, uh, we're yeah, we're regional now. I think that's an important point too, though, is if you're a teacher and you don't know how to play guitar, we have a solution for that, right? Yeah, uh, we'll train you. We'll train you how to play guitar. So basically the only commitment that you have to have as a teacher to this program is the willingness to learn. You have to want to sit down and uh, learn how to play guitar. We can connect you with uh, one of our guitar teachers here in Chattanooga via Zoom um, and do 18 to 20 weeks of lessons with you and help you learn how to deliver our curriculum in your classroom. Um, it's nice. a cool program. But yeah. if you already know how to play guitar, it just streamlines the process as well. So. And uh, how much does that cost? Nothing. What? For the teacher, nothing, yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare thing where the teachers are not having to pay out of their own pockets. It's a, it's a great thing. We're very proud of that. Um, if Also, if you're not a teacher and you want to donate to help support that, that's pretty easy. You can make a donation to our Guitars for Kids program at songbirdsfoundation.org. Uh, you can come by the museum and make a donation. We've got a bunch of cool stuff you can like get. You can buy a guitar pick that goes on the wall in the museum with your name on it. We've got other things you can name around the museum. Um, just lots of ways you can participate in that program. Very cool. Well, thanks for stopping by. Anytime. We're back. Yeah, yeah. You were just about to tell me about Nick's newest EP. That's right. So we're actually listening to the first cut of it now. This is called Heart of Class. Which I just learned is a Blondie cover.
You know, I can hear his grandfather's uh, warbly influence in this. Once I found love and it was divine. Your new EP, which is uh, Heart of Night, with the, is it the Losteens? Losteens, yeah. You know, part of the foundational aspect to this, our sound is definitely like the New Orleans dance hall, uh, like weirdo honky tonk world that has existed down there for the last little bit um and the lost deans are good friends of ours from that that whole scene down there it's been fun to highlight bands from that scene who have some of that same influence and crossover and the lost deans sound totally different from us or really any of that music that i mentioned but if you are paying attention you can hear aspects of it in there from like a different standpoint than us but um yeah we're always just really happy to get our friends music out in the world and i'm a big believer in those folks they've got like dreamy lullaby harmonies on there and we've got one kind of just honking tonking uh uh party time like rockabilly sounding version of an old fiddle tune so it's you know incongruence a word but uh you could also say they're just uh odd bedfellows so it's it's been fun to, to put that out in the world once i found love and it and it was a gas Soon turned out, had a, had a heart of glass. Seemed like the real thing and it was divine. Mucho mistrust, love's gone behind. In between, what I find is pleasing. That's all I got. Um, I Wait. appreciate your time very much. Thank you, Charlie. It was very painless. I uh, enjoy a good a good tit for tat. Well, I can say that I am completely smitten. Charlie, thank you for introducing me to a new artist and giving me some food for thought on country music. Absolutely, my pleasure. To our listeners out there, thank you so much for all the encouragement. Yeah, we are really enjoying making the show. And if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. You can find us on the web, songbirdsfoundation.org, or on Spotify, or Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and don't forget to leave a review. Those really help our rankings. Yes, thanks everyone. See you next time. 
Make Music Happen is a production of the Songbridge Guitar and Pop Culture Museum. We are produced by Charlie Moss and Rue Caldwell. This episode was written by Charlie Moss and John Dewey. The edit, sound design, and master was done by John Dewey. Our logo and show artist is show art is by Mars Michael. Special thanks to Victoria Sauer, Jan Michael Lewis, and WUTC.